Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, good evening, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa. What a blessing it is to be back here. Let's go ahead and open up to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, and we're going to start at verse 28 and up to and including verse 40. John 18, 28 to 40. And here we are carrying on in our series in the Gospel of John, and it is called the Triumphant King. The triumphant king. And this series, if you started to get the picture, if you've been here over the last number of weeks, is really focused on unpacking who Jesus is as our sovereign triumphant king. So not just who he is, but then what's our responsibility because of that? How are we called to live in light of that truth? How are we called to live in front of that? And if we are to live faithfully in light of the truth of what Jesus is and who he is in all that is happening around us today, as this world continues to descend into what can be described as chaos, how are we to live faithfully in what we face each day? And it all starts right here. The title of tonight's message, you see it on the screen. We need to behold our king. That's where everything starts. Behold your king. What you put first, what what I prioritize first is going to order the rest. My outlooks, my actions, my priorities, all of it. And it starts right here. We must behold our king at all times and in all things. Hey, question. Just as we sang, just as we prayed, let me ask you this. Are you beholding your king? Day by day. Literally moment by moment. Are you beholding your king? Because you and I will always choose what we will behold or who. And we're always beholding thing after thing after thing every single day. Are you beholding your king? Are you beholding your sovereign and triumphant king, Jesus? Now you might think, okay, what does it mean to behold? Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Here's what it means. To behold, the definition of this means to look at, to see, or to observe. What are you looking at these days? Who are you looking at? What are you fixing your attention on? Or who? Are we fixing our eyes on our triumphant king who is, ready, sovereign over every news report that you read? Are you fixing your eyes and beholding your king who is the truth in this world? Not some version of it, not whatever you make it out to be, but the truth. Are you beholding the truth by beholding your king? Are you beholding your king who is love? Who has all authority? Who is good? Who is gracious? Are we beholding or fixing our eyes on our king who delivers us? Who is our only deliverer? The only one who can satisfy us. Or are we beholding these other things? If I just get this and I'll do it, I'm fixing my gaze. I gotta have that. I gotta have this. Are you beholding your king who satisfies? 
Are you beholding your king who strengthens and provides for you? The king who forgives, the king who accepts, and the king who saves. Are you beholding your king? What's taking up your beholding time every day? See, here's the problem. I think you see it. Instead of keeping our eyes fixed on and beholding Jesus, don't we often get distracted? It's tough to keep our eyes on Jesus. Can we all agree on that? It's tough to keep our eyes on Jesus. And we often get distracted, and what inevitably happens, we turn from him and fix our gaze, focus on so many other things. We focus on people. We focus on opportunities we want. We focus on positions. We focus on social media. We behold the news. We behold ourselves. We're so focused fixing our eyes on ourselves. Our agenda, our priorities, And what's the result of this? How do we know we're in this cycle? Just look all around us. You see it in your life. I see it in mine. Fear. You behold fear, you become fearful. We see it, the result of taking our eyes off, beholding our king, we see it with worry and anxiety over what's happening to us and around us. Here's another one. Impatience. We get impatient. Eyes off the king, eyes on us. We get impatient. I want it now, God. I got this. I see the whole picture. I get it. We start to grumble and complain that things aren't our way. We start to become selfish. We don't listen to others. We fight them. We argue. It's time to behold our king. It results in apathy in our walk with the Lord. As we put our trust and hope and confidence in these things, they all end up just leading us further from him and from the life that he offers and promises if we believe in and follow him, beholding him. Friends, friends, here it is right here. Here's the big idea, ready? You'll see on screen, write it down. Jesus is the sovereign king and you must believe in him to have life. You must behold and believe. Behold our God. Behold our King. You ready to behold our King? Because here in our text right here, there's two truths. Two truths that we must believe if we are to truly behold our sovereign King and have life in his name at all times and in all things and live faithfully on mission for him. Ready to go? Ready to behold our King? Let's go. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. John chapter 18, verses 28 to 40. Let's read this together. Sorry, did I say 28? John chapter 18. Y'all are too kind. John chapter 18, verses 28 to 40. Let's go. Jesus before Pilate. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. 
The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas! Now Barabbas was a robber. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Loved ones, you may be seated. You may be seated. Such a powerful text. All right, here we go. Behold, loved ones, behold your sovereign king, Jesus. Here it is. Who has authority, all authority, and it is supreme. Behold your sovereign king, Jesus, who has all authority, supreme over all. See, Jesus has all authority over all powers. I'm going to say this again because we need to be reminded of this or we're going to get fearful. We're going to get worried. We're going to get anxious. Remember this, loved ones. Jesus has all authority over all powers. Will you trust in him? Will you trust in him? When you turn on the news, when you have those conversations, you see what's happening. Will you trust in him? Let's get our context here. Context is key. Here we are, Passover, festival of Passover in Jerusalem. This is a week-long festival. 600,000 plus people packed into Jerusalem from all over Israel and the Roman Empire. And here we are in the temple. You'll see it on here if you recall from last time. We're in the court of the high priest. The court of the priests. All right? We start out here. And it's early morning, as you see in verse 28 there. It's early morning. Now, early isn't like, maybe for some of us, early morning's like 9 a.m. This is not like 9 a.m. This is like 6 a.m. It's like sunrise, okay? It's early morning on Friday of the Passover week. And Jesus is just a few hours away from his crucifixion. Now, recall, in verses 12 to 27 of chapter 18, Jesus has just had his first trials in front of the Jewish courts. Number one, he had an informal one in front of Annas, who was the former high priest. And then Annas sent him over to his son-in-law Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, and who brought him before the, Israel, the Jewish Supreme Court, which is called the Sanhedrin. This was a formal one. Now remember, these are corrupt. They're not interested. They've already decided Jesus' fate. Evil is running rampant, or so they 
may think. Now watch what happens in verse 28. Let's go. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas. So he's done his Jewish, formal Jewish trial in front of the Sanhedrin. He leads them to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They, notice this, that is the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters. Why not? So that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. See what happens here? Jesus is now transferred from Caiaphas' house in the court of the priest over into the headquarters or the house of the official residence of the Roman governor Pilate to begin his Roman trial. Now, we're not 100% sure where Pilate's headquarters were, but we believe that it is what's called Antonia Fortress, which is on the northwest, you'll see it on the screen, on the northwest corner of the Temple Mount. Okay, so those are, that's Pilate's residence, and he went to that residence during festivals for crowd control. All right, so there wouldn't be an upheaval or revolt. So there's the Antonia Fortress, Pilate's headquarters, right near the temple. And this is where they're taking Jesus. Now, I want you to notice verse 28b, the, lat- the second half of it. It says, they themselves, the Jewish leaders, did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. You see, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, they didn't enter Pilate's house because, here's why, they thought that if they entered a Gentile or non-Jewish home, get this, they would be corrupted. Corrupted. They would become unclean for entering a Gentile's house. They would become, as you see in the text, defiled. That's what it means, corrupted. And as a result of being corrupted, they couldn't eat the rest of the Passover. They couldn't take part in front of the rest of the festivities for the week. Now, why would they be defiled? Why would they think this way? Where did they get this idea? Well, what they've done, and the Pharisees were notorious of this, they have taken the law of God in the Old Testament and added their own rules to it. They've added their own rules to adhere. And here, they created a rule because they wanted to stay as far away from being as ceremonially unclean. So they created a rule about going into the house of someone who's not Jewish. Now here's the thing. You will not find that in God's law. In fact, Peter goes on to say at Cornelius' house in Acts 10, 24, he goes, you've seen that it's you know, Jewish custom and Jewish tradition to not enter a house, but God told me that it's holy. And he's sitting in a Gentile's house. See, God didn't say to not enter the house. It was, get this, <clears throat> the man-made standard or preference of the Pharisees. And here, you know, this is so ironic, isn't it? It's so ironic. Here they are so concerned about not being ritually pure from their man-made preference. But notice that. So they're willing to die on this hill. I'm dying on this one, not walking in your house. But isn't it ironic? They're totally willing to excuse sin and break God's actual law for the death of an innocent man. How about this in the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not kill. Pretty clear. 
That's in God's law. But they're willing to die on a preferential hill in the name of God's truth. They've distorted it and they're willing to die on it. Are you? Am I? Are you more concerned about upholding your preferences for how you think things should be done and when? Or are you more concerned, loved ones, as we are called to as God's children, are you and I more concerned about actually upholding the actual word of God and not our spin on it? Are we excusing sin in our lives just to uphold our preferences? And sometimes even in the name of God. Are we excusing sin? Listen, it's my preference that things aren't this way, so I'm going to get angry, forget love out the window, forget humility, forget teachability. Here comes the grumbling, here comes the complaining, here comes the criticism. But I'm willing to excuse that sin because my preference is things change. Sound familiar? We need to take a hard lesson here. And the lesson is this, that the Holy Spirit inspires John to write this. You'll see it on the screen. Don't make your preferences God's principles. Do not... Take the word of God and distort it and add to it to build your little kingdom. Do not make your preferences God's principles. There is only one word we are called to uphold. And it's not your word. And it's not mine. It's our king's. Our triumphant, sovereign king. And the question we need to be asking ourselves when we find ourselves taking these hills to die on, like I'm dying on this one here, I'm going to do that. We've got to ask the question, um, whose kingdom do you really want to see come? And whose will do you really want to see done? One of the best prayers you and I can ever pray Right out of the Lord's Prayer as Jesus instructs us. He knows we would struggle with this. That's why the second line of the Lord's Prayer is, let your kingdom come and your will be done. He knew that this would be our default. Forgetting Christ's supreme authority, I'm going to become the authority. That's what the Pharisees are doing. I'm the authority now. Now look what happens in verses 29 to 31. Keep going. So Pilate went outside of them. So he accommodates them. All right, they're not coming in. I guess I'll go out. So he walks out into the courtyard and he says, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, well, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Did that answer the question? 31, Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, look at this irony. 
Look at this one. It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. But you... Okay. So look what Pilate does. He accommodates the Jews. He comes out to them and starts the proceedings, the formal trial. Okay? And when he asks what the charge is against them, you see that in verse 30? Against Jesus? They don't give him a charge. Instead, what do they say? They get real loud. They get real angry. They form this mob mentality, and they say, take our word for it, Pilate. If he wasn't doing evil, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Here comes the anger. Who's, who can be the loudest? Let's get the mob together and put some pressure on this guy, and we'll see that, Lord willing, in a couple weeks as we finish off in chapter 19. See, look at Pilate's response. He knows what they're doing. Pilate's not a fool to the Jews' plans here. And so look at his response. He says, he's not interested in dealing with their religious affairs. He goes, take them yourself. I'm not interested in religious affairs, in judging them for you. Judge them by your own law. And then look at the Pharisees. They say, it's not lawful. Now notice, notice the word law there is actually, he's talking about the Roman law. Because Rome's ruling Israel right now. And so they're like, but it's, it's not lawful for us to put a man to death. That means you won't allow us. And we'll get to that in a second. See, here's the key we need to see from this. The Jewish leaders had no charge. No credible charge that Pilate would listen to. He's not interested in religious deals. But they knew. The Jews knew they needed to get Pilate involved. If Jesus was to be crucified. So what did they do? They res- and look at the strategy all around us today. They resort to mob mentality and pressure. Scream them down. Get the pressure. Now wait, why did they have to get Pilate at all? Pilate just said, couldn't they just go kill him? See, here's why they said it's not lawful. Because when Rome took over Israel and began ruling with a governor in 6 AD, get this, the right to execute by crucifixion was taken away from the Jews. They couldn't do it anymore. And it was given to the governor. Only the Roman governor could do execution by crucifixion. And any execution had to be done by the Romans or it was illegal. However, notice this, what the Pharisees said here wasn't actually totally true. Go figure. It wasn't actually totally true because the Roman law still permitted them to stone people to death. So you couldn't crucify anyone, but you could kill him. But they say, oh, the law won't allow us. Yes, it will. But not in how you want it. Now you wait, you wait a second here and you say like, <clears throat> why were they so bent on seeing Jesus crucified on a cross? Why was no other meaning acceptable? You asking the question? You asking it? I'm asking it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Why were they so bent on this? Good question. Because of Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23. It says that if a man were to commit a crime and he was put to death by hanging on a tree, it was a symbol he'd been cursed by God. There you go. Stoning's not going to cut it because we want all of Christ's followers to know. We want this world to know this guy's a phony. 
We want to discredit him as much as possible. And so we want to put him in the most public place according to the law to show that he has been cursed by God. There's their MO. And you look at this scene right here. It just looks like a circus of evil, doesn't it? Deception, mob mentality, all of it. Listen, circus of evil. Yet, watch this, watch this. I love this, ready? Yet in the middle of all this evil and all this corruption, in the middle of all these lies and the distortion of truth, look at verse 32. Oh, watched our sovereign king at work. Open your Bibles, verse 32. Look what it says. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. See, I want to encourage us with this today, loved ones. Jesus has all authority over every one of these authorities. And he is in complete sovereign control over every detail. He knows about the corruption. He knows about the lies. He knows about the distortion of his word. And he's providentially controlling all these political... He's providentially controlling all these political procedures to ensure that he, verse 32, is fulfilling. That means accomplishing his word that he had spoken, that he would die by not stoning. How did he say he was going to die? Being lifted up on a cross. Don't believe me? John 8, 58, John 12, 32 to 33, and many others. I must be lifted up. You look around today, hey church, it's tempting to despair, isn't it? It's tempting to despair. That circus of chaos going on. It's tempting to doubt the authority and sovereignty and goodness and love of Jesus Christ, fulfilling his word over all things as we see things seemingly getting worse around us. It's tempting to doubt. Are you tempted to doubt? I am sometimes. But loved ones, What we see here is so crucial. Without an increasing trust and submission to the authority, sovereignty, and power of Christ over all things, without beholding him moment by moment and renewing our minds through his word and setting our eyes on him, guess what we're going to do? Just like the Pharisees, we will resort to becoming our own authority. We will resort to setting our hope in other things. And we will, if our eyes are not on Christ, and if we're not being renewed in our minds through his word daily, moment by moment, we will distort God's word and compromise in our faith. And we will start to handle it, just like the Pharisees, to suit our preference. Behold your king. And we will become more focused, just like the Pharisees right here, we will become more focused on upholding and defending and dividing over our preferences and how we want things to be and when rather than clinging to God's word and trusting that he will fulfill it and living faithfully from it in his power throughout all of how Jesus knows things need to be as he's working them out for his glory and the good of those who love him.
And we see this happening all over today in the church and outside of the church, making our preferences God's principles, making ourselves the supreme authority. See, Jesus has all authority over all powers. Will you trust in him? Will you trust in him? Will you trust when his plan doesn't match with your preferences? I'm pretty sure these last two years, none of it was our preference, would you say? None of it was our preference. For what we think should have happened and what we should do. Loved ones, here's our response. We must humble ourselves and repent of where we have and are doing this. Repenting of making ourselves the final say. Why, why is that needed? Well, just look at James 4. It talks about this pretty clearly. James 4, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Look around what's happening. You'll see it on the screen. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What causes the division? Is it not this? That your passions, your flesh, your desires, your preferences are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. How many of us are murdering others with our mouths and thoughts these days? You covet Got to have it. And you can't obtain, so what do you do? You fight and quarrel. You become your authority. There's the outcome. And we see it all over. See, the Pharisees didn't trust in Jesus' authority, did they? They made themselves it, and look what happened. And we would be foolish to think we are immune to that. So you might say this, well, wait a second. I want to grow in trusting God with all authority and power. How do I do this? How do I grow in faith, in trusting? You asking that, man? You asking that? Praise the Lord, I'm asking that. How do we grow in trusting the Lord so we're not falling into this deceptive trap, destructive trap? Here it is, ready? Jesus tells us, everyone say, that's good news. Go. He tells us, John 15, what does he tell us? How do we do it? Abide. John 15, 4-5, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, unless it is beholding the vine, moment by moment, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. See that? I'm the authority here. I'm the source. You're the branch. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding means to remain in the fixed position of beholding. How do we do that? Through his word. What do we do? Cling to it. Cling to it. When you read the news, when you get up in the morning, when you're going into that meeting, when you're on the drive home or you're on your walk with your, cling to God's word. Let it stay fixed on your heart. Here's another one. And then obedience. Follow it. So cling to it. And then in obedience, how do we grow in trusting the Lord? We follow it and we see God's blessing. We see God do what only he can do. We follow it. We obey it in his power. 
And then how else do we abide? Ready? Ready? We pray and we don't stop it. So we hold to his word and we cling to it. We obey and we follow it. And then we pray and we don't stop it. He says, pray without ceasing. Lord, ask him, Lord, where are my preferences? Why am I complaining right now? Why am I grumbling right now? Show me where my preferences have trumped your principle. That's such a life-giving prayer. Show me where my preferences have trumped. Why am I impatient? Why am I attacking my brother or sister in Christ? Why am I being divisive to them? It's time to stop making yourself your authority and submit to him for how to treat them. See, here's the thing about prayer. Got next prayer night coming up April 6th. Come on, let's go church, come on. But here's the thing. Prayer should be the first language of every Christian. You know, I was watching, I was uh, just listening to some different conversations at our church. I love this church, so many tribes and tongues and nations here. And sometimes I get the privilege of hearing you speak in different dialects and languages. And you know, it's so beautiful. You know what's beautiful in the sight of God? Prayer is our first language. Is prayer your first language? Pray without ceasing. God longs to hear your prayers. He loves it when his children cry out to him. Lord, increase my faith. Help my unbelief in your authority. Behold your sovereign King Jesus who has all authority. And from this final point today, ready loved ones? You must behold your sovereign King Jesus knowing that as we trust in his authority, he will advance his kingdom. What is his kingdom? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven on earth. Jesus will advance the kingdom of God on earth. But here's the question facing you and I today from this. Will you live faithfully on mission? Knowing this promise. Will you live faithfully on mission? Okay, let's look. Let's look. Verses 33 to 35. Let's go back to the word, kids. Let's go back to our Bibles. Verses 33 to 35. It's a private discussion now. Pilate leaves the courtyard where the mob is, and he comes back to one-on-one with Jesus. Look at the the opportunity Pilate has here, by the way. One-on-one with Jesus. He's one-on-one. And watch this, 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And then Pilate answered in disgust, because he doesn't like the Jews. He said, Am I a Jew? Am I a Jew? Really? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? What have you done? See, Pilate then goes back into his house, and he asks Jesus if he's a king of the Jews. As you see here, to which Jesus asks him if he's asking this from his own idea. That is, Pilate, are you asking me from your own conviction that I'm a king? What's your motivation here? Or are you getting your information from others who've heard me declare that? See what Jesus is asking here? He's asking for a fair trial again. He goes, Pilate, where are your witnesses? I'm supposed to have witnesses. He's calling out the corruption again. Where are your witnesses, Pilate? And Pilate responds by showing disdain for the Jews. You think I need witnesses? You think I'm a Jew? You think I want to be a Jew? He looks at Jesus and he asks him what he did that his own people would deliver him over to death. Now here's an important note right here. Don't miss this. Pilate, when he's asking if Jesus is a king, 
You're here. What's his focus right here? He has no idea about the spiritual kingdom here. He's asking Jesus from a focus that is strictly political and trying to assess whether Jesus is a threat to Caesar or the Roman Empire. That's Pilate's only interest. Are you going to have a little revolt and, and have everything? He's political interest here. Okay, he's not focused on the kingdom of God. And look at how Jesus responds in 36. Let's read that. 36, Jesus answered, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. See what Jesus does there? He confirms he's a king. A king has a kingdom, right? He confirms he's a king, but not as Pilate thinks a king should be or where a king should come from. Pilate's focused on the horizontal. Are you a threat to Rome? Jesus is like, my kingdom's not of this world. See, Pilate is thinking of kingship from a worldly level or standard, right? But Jesus declares that his kingdom is not of this world. What does that mean? It means it doesn't have its source in this world. It's not from this world. See, Jesus declares that his kingdom, what's it? It's not a threat to the Roman Empire. It's not some political threat to him. He's like, Pilate, you got the wrong focus. Jesus says, my kingdom is much larger and greater than the kingdom of Rome. In fact, I'll take it one step further. My kingdom is much greater than the world itself. It is, in fact, the kingdom of heaven. It is the kingdom of heaven. See what Jesus is saying right here? That his kingdom, get this, get this, hear, hear this. I love being able to preach this right here in our nation's capital. I just love this. He says, his kingdom is not connected to any earthly political parties or identities. He didn't get voted in. He didn't run on some platform and then people elected him. He's like, it's not from here. It's not connected to these earthly political parties. And it does not come from this evil world system. It doesn't come from here. Loved ones, we need to remember this. When we are speaking to a brother or sister in Christ or an unbeliever with a different political viewpoint than you, Whose kingdom are you really focused on there? When they have a different take on a response to a law. Whose kingdom are you really focused on? See, Jesus says that he is over all of the earthly kingdoms. What's the proof? Verse 36. He said, if his kingdom was from this world, look what he says. His servants would be fighting. His servants would be fighting to not lose him and would be fighting to advance their own agenda just as all the kingdoms of the world do. How do the kingdoms of this world advance? They use force. They use force to preserve themselves and advance their agenda. Hey, remember what Jesus did when Peter tried to respond this way to fight and draw the physical sword? What did Jesus do back in John 18? Back in John 18, even go to the verse, verse 11, Jesus rebuked him. He said, put your sword away. My servants don't fight like the servants of this world. I'm not calling them to fight like this. Now let's be very clear about something because you can hear, oh, my kingdom's not of this world. Does Jesus not care about what's going on here? No, no, no. 
I love how one commentator put it. He said, Jesus is not saying his kingdom is disconnected from this world. It's not like, well, I created you. You're screwing it up. See ya. It's not what he's doing, right? He's not saying his kingdom's disconnected from the world as if this world doesn't matter to him. Oh, it matters. He's saying his kingdom is greater than the world. It's beyond all world power and includes more than just the visible realm. And I love how Another commentator, he adds this, he says this, his kingdom may not find its source from this world, but its power and authority are clearly at work in this world. We can see that. It doesn't find its source from this world. It's not coming from this world, but it's his power and authority are clearly at work in it. The kingdom and kingship of Christ, oh, I love this, so blessed by it. The kingdom and kingship of Christ have an in but not of relationship to the world. In the world, but not of the world. Hey, that sounds familiar. Yeah, that's why Jesus prayed in John 17, 15. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There's the kingdom of God. It's an in the world, but not of the world. This is how we need to understand this. See, for Jesus, here's what he's saying right here. My servants would be fighting earthly weapons and earthly means of advancing his kingdom. Here's what he's saying. They're powerless. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Earthly means, earthly weapons. Put away your sword. Put away the anger. Put away the how loud can we get and get our point across. Put it away. I don't advance my kingdom through fighting like the world does. He says they're powerless. He states his kingdom doesn't advance ultimately through the efforts of man. His goals are not primarily physical goals, but spiritual ones. His kingdom advances by him conquering sin in this world and in the lives of his people, and one day, praise the Lord, conquering the entire evil world system for good when he returns and all will be made right. Amen? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That's what he's talking about. My kingdom's not of this world. And today, so many people, including many claiming the name of Christ, are fighting to advance the kingdom of God. And, and maybe their motives are good, maybe. But they're fighting to advance the kingdom of God in the exact same ways as the kingdoms of the world fight to advance their own agendas. And Jesus is like, they don't fight like that. My servants don't fight like this. The people of this world. By the worldly means of getting hostile with people that don't agree with you, Loved ones, Christ calls us to a higher standard. Why are we getting hostile? Because, because a brother or sister of Christ or someone else doesn't see things the same way as you? Where's that coming from? It's not coming from the Lord. How about this? We resort to the same means as this world. Slander them. Attack them. Advance my, my opinion. Gossip about them. Malign them. Get angry. Get divisive. We see it going on all over. And sadly, even in the church across this world. Fighting like the world. Why? It's powerless. See, this image came to mind. It's kind of sobering. You know, trying to advance the kingdom of God by the means of man. <laughs> 
have, has about as much chance of succeeding as I do as making it to the Olympics for figure skating. Hey, what are you laughing at? Trying to advance the kingdom of God by the means of man, the means that this world does, has about as much chance of succeeding as I do of making to the Olympics for figure skating. Trust me, you don't want to see that, and I don't want to experience that. That's why Jesus says they don't fight like that. Loved ones, the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. Jesus calls us to something greater. He calls us to something higher than digging in your heels and marching on the means of this world and trampling your brothers and sisters in Christ in the process. He calls us to something much greater, one that will show the world we are his. Here's what he calls us to, ready? Love. By this, all men will know you are my disciples, not by your ability to win an argument but by your love for one another. Not by your ability to get hostile and use force and get loud, but by your love for one another. By the unity with one another in the gospel, submitting to the authority of Christ. He calls us to live faithfully on mission in his power using the means he's given us. Because ultimately, if we truly believe song number one on the service tonight, if we truly believe the battle belongs to him, how does it say we fight? On our knees. Not with the means of this world. See, Jesus will advance the kingdom of God on earth. Will you live faithfully on mission? And you may ask, you see this? You may ask, well, how do I live faithfully? Kingdom of God advancing. What does it mean to look faithfully, live faithfully in these days to see the kingdom of God advance? Praise the Lord, he tells us. You ready? Ready? Love God's word so good. Here's what it means. We live like Jesus lived. We live like Jesus lived. His purpose for coming is our purpose in proclaiming. See, watch this. <clears throat> You'll see it on the screen. It, that first one we see right from the text. Let's pull it right out. Living faithfully on mission means this, that we declare the truth. We declare the truth. Look at 37 to 38. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And look at Pilate's resigned response right here. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? See, Jesus reveals his purpose for coming to earth as fully man, verse 37, I was born, fully man, but also fully God. I came into the world. To do what? To bear witness. That is to testify and proclaim to the truth. Now notice it says the truth. Do you see that in the text in verse 37? I came to bear witness to the truth. Not, I came to bear witness to what you think is true or what you want to believe is true or whatever you want to make be true because truth can be relative. Truth is not relative, loved ones. Truth is not relative. And the world, look at, our, look at our world today. So many in this world 
Maybe even in this room, asking like Pilate asked right here, what is truth anymore? What is truth? How do you know that what's true in this world when things seem so convoluted and things seem so twisted? Well, here's what truth means. It means what corresponds to reality. That's what the word truth is talking about here. What corresponds to reality. What is true at all times and in all things, no matter what's happening. And look at Pilate. He asked the question, what's true? He has no interest in understanding what truth is here. He's like, everyone's doing their own thing. What is truth? Listen, listen, listen. Pilate has the truth of God one-on-one in front of him. And he shuts the door. Are you? Are you? See, Jesus declares that his purpose for coming was to declare the absolute truth of God that will stay true, that is true, no matter what is happening. He's bearing witness to the truth, which means he's bearing witness and proclaiming himself. Jesus is the word of God. He is the truth. Look at John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. He's declaring himself, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And for us as his disciples, listen, loved ones, we are called to live as Jesus lived. His purpose to declare the truth is our purpose, the mission to go forth and make disciples, proclaiming the truth of the gospel to say he came as fully God and fully man, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin that separates us from God, and there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That is the truth Jesus came to bear witness to, and that is our mission, loved ones. Are we fulfilling our ministry to evangelize? This is how the kingdom advances. This is God's design for advancing his kingdom by his power at work in and through us, not by using the means of the world. Declare the truth. I love how One commentator puts it this way, Jesus doesn't advance his kingdom through the physical sword, but through the sword of the spirit, the word. He brings salvation, not through military might, but through a message of truth. And notice verse 37b, the last half, it says the kingdom will advance. Notice what he says right here. The kingdom will advance because everyone who is called by him, everyone who is chosen by him before the foundation of the world, when they hear the truth proclaimed, what does it say they'll do? They will hear his voice and they will follow him. That's how the kingdom advances. They hear the truth and they come to him. See, you'll see this on the screen. Sum it up. God's kingdom advances as God's word is proclaimed. God's kingdom advances as God's word is proclaimed. Question, are you living faithfully and proclaiming it at home to your neighbors, to your classmates, to your family? Are you li- this is how it advances. This was Jesus' purpose. This is our purpose. And be encouraged. Those who are of the truth will hear and come to him. In his time and his way. All right, lastly is this. How do we live faithfully on mission? Number one, seeing the kingdom of God advance, we declare the truth. Secondly, we see it right here. We demonstrate the truth. We demonstrate it, not just on our lips. Do we declare it, but in our lives. Look at the last part of the text. After he said this, Pilate went back outside to the Jews. Now he moves outside again. He says, I find no guilt in him. 
But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Notice the exclamation mark. Not this man. There's the model. But Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. See, after interrogating Jesus and finding no guilt in him, Pilate heads back outside to the mob waiting for him. And he asks them if, because he's not guilty in his eyes, that they want him to release Jesus in honoring a goodwill custom at Passover where the Roman governor would offer up one prisoner for them. Okay? Release one prisoner that they want. And yet in verse 40, you see it right here, so tragic. They refuse Jesus and they choose the robber Barabbas to be substituted in his place. You see the word there in the superscript, it sees insurrectionist. You know what that means? A, a murderer. They chose a murderer. One who violently stole and who was engaged in guerrilla warfare. There's Barabbas. And here we see a clear demonstration. Did you see the gospel right here? You see it? Here we see such a clear demonstration of the truth of God and the gospel where Jesus, the perfect and innocent son of God, substitutes his life. He substitutes his life for the life of Barabbas, who was guilty, who was condemned, who was a sinner with a death penalty. And Jesus stood in his place. Gospel demonstration. And loved ones, we can't save anyone, can we? We can't save anyone. Only Jesus can. But we are called, you and I, to live lives of gospel demonstration in his power. Listen to this. We close with this. To love in the face of hatred in his power. To have peace in the face of conflict in his power. To extend forgiveness in the face of hurt. There's the kingdom of God advancing. To have patience in the face of cancel culture and bearing with one another in love. There's the kingdom of God advancing. Every time you choose it, you choose to see the kingdom of God advanced. Every time you don't make your principle or your preference God's principle, you choose to see the kingdom of God advanced to, to serve in the face of pursuing status. You choose to see the kingdom of God advanced. To show grace and mercy in the face of opposition you choose to see the kingdom of God advanced. To show humility in the face of pride, you choose to see the kingdom of God advanced. Here's one, here's one. To listen in the face of shouting is to see the kingdom of God advanced. Not thinking, not making your preferences gospel priorities is choosing to see the kingdom of God advanced. And humbling yourself to see God advance his kingdom rather than trying to advance your own is choosing to see the kingdom of God advanced. Loved ones, where do you need to repent of where you're not choosing it? Declaration and demonstration. Those who are of the truth will hear it and will come to him. It's the only way it advances. And may our prayer be, loved ones, 
Jesus, you must increase. As I, let's just bow our heads right now as the worship team comes up here. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. Jesus, make this your prayer. You must increase as I decrease right now. Advance your kingdom for your glory in and through me today with urgency of eternity on my lips and in my life. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word right here. We thank you that you have all authority that it is supreme. And we thank you for the promise that you will advance and build your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth. And we see snippets of it now, but one day we will see it in full. Oh Lord, would you fill us right now? Would you fill us right now with great faith? I pray all across this room, we just be casting down those areas where we have not been focused on advancing your kingdom. And it's been about us. We haven't been listening. We haven't humbled ourselves. We're fighting. We're arguing with the means of this world to try to advance stuff. Lord, call us back to this. Thank you for your word. Help us, lead us, unite us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen.